Hello and welcome to our weekly podcast from Faith Point Church, Auckland, New Zealand. We hope you will encounter God afresh in this week's teaching segment. If you enjoy this podcast and would like to hear more, then you can visit us at www.faithpoint.org.nz. And now for today's message. Well, church, we're on our final installment of First Things. Let's say that together. First things. First things. First things. When you, when you think about the name first, you think of priority. Jesus said in Matthew 6.33, Seek ye second, third, fourth. No, he said priority. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be gathered unto you. Well, when he established the first church... The early church, where the church was birthed with an outpouring of God's Holy Spirit in an upper room where 120 people withstood the onslaught of their flesh that was beckoning them to leave the prayer meeting, but they held on for 10 days. Imagine the oxygen for 10 days. The, the, the perspiring bodies in the Middle Eastern heat for 10 days. And they held on and they held on. And God's Holy Spirit was poured out upon those 120 people, which then created an avalanche as the Apostle Peter preached his first sermon under the anointing of the Spirit. And 3,000 souls came to Christ that day. And then we see this prototype, a prototype the first of its kind, the prototype pattern of what was established, the four pillars of the early church. And let's read that this morning. Acts 2.42, And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, which means their teaching, the fellowship, the breaking of bread, and in prayers. What happened as a result? Verse 43, Then fear came upon every soul, the fear of the Lord. Not being fraidy cat, but respect and reverence towards the Lord. Fear came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common and sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. As I said to you last week, this was nothing less than biblical awe. There was an awe of God that was in the midst of God's people. And unfortunately in our society today, people want biblical awe without biblical devotion. And unfortunately, we'll never get that. The word devoted, which is the word used in verse 42, and they were devoted to four things. It means the steadfast, relentless pursuit of. The steadfast, relentless pursuit of. These four things. In other words, it wasn't a one-day wonder, it wasn't a one-week wonder, and it wasn't a one-month wonder. This was, this was a relentless pursuit in the midst of God's people, 
of what God was doing and what God was saying. And as a result of it, signs, wonders, miracles, people were selling their possessions to give to those who had need. There was the commonality amongst them that they shared all things in common. There was fellowship. There was miracles. There was prayer meetings. There was this togetherness where there was in the midst of, there was a pillar of, as it were, God's presence in the middle of the church. Who wouldn't want to be part of a church like that? I ask that question today. What an incredible place to be. And somehow in the midst of our sophisticated 21st century lifestyle, the church in some, in some ways, we, the church, the people of God, not the buildings, we are the church, the people are the church, somehow we've lost our way from the first things. And God is bringing about a global movement and restoration for us to return to the prototype of what he called us to in the beginning. And when we follow the prototype, when we follow the pattern, remember God revealed the tabernacle of Moses to him by revelation. And this is what he said to Moses, Moses, build according to the pattern. Don't build according to your great ideas, according to your thoughts, according to your inspiration. I've given you the blueprint of revelation, the outer court, the inner court, the most holy place, and here's how you worship me in this divine progression to meet with the Shekinah glory in the midst of the holy of holies. And he said in the same way, I want you to follow this pattern that I established and laid down in the first days of the early church. And as you do that, there will come as a result, the favor, the blessing, there will come the type of things that we see happening here in this passage of Scripture. And today we're talking about, last week we talked about the table of fellowship. How this year we're breaking into homes across the city. And we're going to be sharing meals around a table of fellowship. And how the, how the, where we share things in common across the, the food table, how great conversations are sparked, how we get to know about our, our struggles and also our victories, and how we learn to love a, a real person because we've actually got to know what their struggles are all about and how God may want to contribute into their lives as you come to know them. And how the, also the breaking of bread was about the sharing of the emblems. As Jesus said, do this as often as you remember me until I come again. And the power that's in communion, holy communion, to release healing into our bodies so that we don't have to suffer an early death, as Paul said in 1 Corinthians 11. Many of you are sick and many of you are dying. Discern the power that's in the Lord's table. And see that released into your physical bodies as you gather together. Who's all for this, friends? Who's all for this? This is the type of church that, that uh, God established right from the start. So today we're talking about the fourth pillar, the pillar of prayer. You know, the early church was saturated in prayer. It was permeated in prayer. As we read through chapter after chapter in the book of Acts, we see, you know, you go to the next chapter in chapter Acts chapter 3. The Bible says the apostles Peter and John were on their way to the prayer meeting. At the hour of prayer, where they came together to pray. And as they came 
past a man who had been crippled from birth and he was looking to them as if to receive money. He was begging at the gate to the prayer meeting. And Peter reaches down and says, Silver and gold have I none, but what I do have, the anointing and the power of the Father in me by the Holy Spirit, I now give unto you. Rise up and walk. And the Bible says the man instantly received strength into those paralyzed limbs. And he went walking and leaping and praising God. How did it happen, friends? They were on their way to a prayer meeting. A prayer meeting that they attended regularly. And we see in Acts 6 that there were natural needs that were being missed. Widows weren't having food. There wasn't an equal distribution across the church. And so the apostles began to realize that they couldn't be everywhere at once. Just like pastors can't be everywhere at once. There's the priesthood of all believers, how God equips the church to do the work of the ministry. Can I hear an amen? And so they said, they said, it's not right for us to serve tables. We're going to appoint ministries to be released into the community from our congregation. And we're going to see that the needs are met. But we're not personally going to be involved in that. Because why? Acts 6.4 says that God has called us to give ourselves continually to prayer and the ministry of the Word. Wow. Wow. And we think as preachers that our calling is to preach. Our first calling is to pray. Amen? Preaching will come out of your praying. You know, your ministry will come out of your praying. And as we move through into Acts 10, we find a Roman soldier, a non-Jewish person. The Bible says this non-Jewish person had such a devotion to God, even though he didn't really know who he was, that he prayed and fasted. Do you like that bit? Prayed and fasted. And he was devoted. And suddenly in his room, in his bedroom one day, this angel appears in bright shining clothing. And this is what he says. And I want you to take note of this this morning. This is what he says. He said, your prayers, the many prayers that you have prayed, have been noted in heaven. And they have come up as a memorial before the Lord, and I'm here, the angel of God has been sent from the third heaven, from heaven, the heaven of heavens, and I've been sent today to bring an answer to your prayers. You know, every prayer you pray is noted in heaven. I want you to know that. I want you to get the power of that today. And when God says, go, he goes. And in a moment of time, your whole circumstances and your situation can be flipped around by the power of heaven's intervention within your life. I'm not going to go through the whole book of Acts. But two chapters later, we see that Peter's been locked up in prison for preaching the gospel. And he's in a jail cell. And in the middle of the night, an angel comes. Do you know why the angel came? Let me tell you why the angel came. The church was having a Holy Ghost prayer meeting on behalf of Peter. And they're praying, God, release him from prison. And this angel turns up in prison. Peter's literally shackled with iron. And And this is what the word says. The iron fell off. How does iron fall off? 
the iron fell off his hands and his feet. And how did it fall off? In response to the prayers of God's people, an angel again is released, chains fall off supernaturally off a human body, and then he gives them the, the, the first all-electronic exit from jail. As the Bible says, he walks and gates are just automatically open, just like when you go to the mall and, and the doors automatically open. And he exits out of jail and he comes to the prayer meeting and he knocks on the door and a young girl answers the door and she sees it's Peter and she quickly closes the door. She can't believe he's standing at the door and she goes back and tells everyone, Hey, Peter's not in jail anymore. He's actually standing at the door. And they're going, oh, I don't believe it. This is, how, this is how praying in faith they were as Christians in the prayer meeting. God had immediately answered their prayer. And Peter turns up at their door as a result of divine intervention. Friends, I want to tell you something. That faith-filled prayer is incredibly powerful. I can't tell you in the 30... Did you know in two weeks' time, Viv and I celebrate 30 years of full-time Christian ministry. I can't believe... Leave. 31 years we got we started ministry in our first anniversary, wedding anniversary. And so on the 2nd of April, we're celebrating 30 years of Christian ministry. And I'm so grateful for that 30 years where we have seen hundreds and hundreds, and without exaggeration, I know preachers are prone to it, hundreds and hundreds of answers to supernatural uh, interventions of God that have come via the, prayer, the prayers of God's people. Our own prayer meeting at the moment is that we're going to have to bust open another room and at the hub because our prayer meeting is full on Wednesday nights. And the, the, the atmosphere and the urgency of God's people in that prayer meeting has gone to a whole nother level. You know, I haven't been phoning you all up and saying, are you coming to the prayer meeting? You've felt the tug on your heart to come and pray. And as a result, we're seeing the power of God move in our prayer meeting. And I'm absolutely convinced, friends, that, and I, and I know this, as exciting as it is, there also comes a warning to us as a church. And that is, is that when we step up into our place as soldiers of prayer, Church history will tell you, the Bible will tell you, that satanic opposition will also rise when the body of Christ rises in prayer. And I want to tell you about that your individual life. Once you start getting sorted out with the Lord and you step up your own prayer life, and you begin to make it one of urgent top priority in your life, I want to tell you there also comes a serious level of opposition that rises against you. Because I'll tell you why. There's one thing that the devil fears more than anything else, and that's a praying church. You can have a fun-loving church. You can have a fellowshipping church. You can have a food-eating a food church. You can have a master chef church. But when you get a praying church, all of hell will break loose in order to stop you from praying as the devil shivers in his knees as the church begins to pray. And he will do anything possible to try and stop you from coming to that place of devoted prayer. 
But I want to tell you something else, that if you keep going, and if you keep persisting, and if you keep praying, and you keep praying, as Ephesians 6, 18 says, keep praying with all prayer at all times, with all prayer and supplication and giving of thanks. If you keep praying and you keep persisting, I want to tell you, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world, that you will end up being the victor and not the victim as a result of your prayer and your devotion to the Lord in prayer. We can have all kinds of programs and entertainment in our churches, but if we don't have prayer, friends, we're on the losing side. Prayer is what connects us to the power of God, that connects us to the victory of the cross, that connects us to the overflow of God's power within our lives. So you see, friends, that's why, and, and I'm, I'm going to keep it real simple for us today, because this topic needs to be addressed simply and straight in terms of what we need to hear for our own lives this morning. But many of us are at a deadlock in our prayer lives. You might read the Word. You might have your daily devotions with Radio Rima. You, you <laughs> Praise God for Radio Rima. It's not a slant on them. But, you know, you might be a five-minute wonder. And if you're a new believer and you've just started in your walk with God, five minutes, you go for it. But come on, guys. Is there more than five minutes for Jesus this morning in our devotion? Is that really how devoted we are to the Lord? You see, the devil will distract you in any way that he can to stop you from coming to the throne room of heaven where you don't just come through and give your shopping list and come down and give your to-do list to God, but you actually go through the veil and you pass into the presence of God where you're no longer just praying lists of things by rote to the Lord, but suddenly the presence is there because you've lingered long enough for the presence to surround your life and the Spirit begins to speak to you. Or is your prayer a monologue? Your prayer life a monologue? Where you're doing all the talking and then you go in Jesus' name, amen, and you set off into your day. Wasn't that a great prayer time? And Jesus goes, oh, 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 hang on a minute. I wanted to say something to you this morning. But you never gave me the time. I want to show you one of the clear reasons why many of us are at a deadlock in our prayer lives this morning. And it comes from one of the more sobering stories of Jesus' ministry where we find this meek and mild Jesus suddenly turning into a raging bull as he comes to the temple. And I think it's John's gospel that tells us that he actually deliberately sat down and made his own homemade whip before he entered the temple courts that day. You see, in Jewish culture, you never, you never came to worship without an offering. And what had taken place was that the business-minded people, the people who were out to make a quick buck, had parked themselves and set up their shops and stalls right at the gate to the temple. And they were doing good business because they knew the people, if they wanted to worship, they had to bring an offering. So if they didn't have one on hand, they said, Turtles for sale, turtles for sale, turtle doves for sale over here, and you could go and get your turtle dove. Yeah, that'd be cool, eh? Turtles, turtles in the temple, turtle doves for sale. 
<laughs> and uh, they had turned the house of prayer into a house of business. And Jesus was not happy about this. So we're going to read Matthew's account, 21, verse 12. Then Jesus went into the temple of God and drove out all those who bought and sold in the temple. He physically drove them out and overturned the table of the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. Verse 13, and he said to them, it is written, my house, the house of God, shall be called a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. Then the blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. But when the chief priests and scribes saw the wonderful things that he did, the green-eyed monster appeared. That's not in Scripture, but that's what happened. And the children crying out in the temple saying, Hosanna to the son of David. They were indignant. And they said to Jesus, do you hear? Do you hear what these men are saying? Do you hear what these are saying? Jesus said to him, yes, have you never read? Out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants, you have perfected praise. And he left them there and went out to the city of Bethany and he lodged there. There's two great truths in this story I want you all to catch today. The first one is, is that God's house has always been intended to be a house of prayer. A house of communing with the Father. A house of fellowshipping with God. A house of connecting with the Father. Amen. And in, in modern day New Testament times, what is your house? This is your house. This temple that's carrying around your soul and your spirit, this is your house. This temple that, you, that God has given to you, this is your house of prayer. And the second thing that we understand from this story is that wherever there is prayer, there will be a thief. But you have made it a den of thieves. Understand this. As soon as you start getting rolling in your prayer life, the devil who Jesus said is a thief and he's also a liar, will come to you and he will try and rob you and steal from you any spiritual traction that you get in your prayer life. You wonder why you get so distracted when you're trying to break through into prayer, when you're trying to get past that first phase, when we enter the presence of God, where everything comes up into your mind, all the things that haven't been done that need to be done, all the appointments that you've got coming up, and you can't get control of your mind. And if you can't get control of your mind, you can't enter the courts of the Lord. Do you know why, friends? It's because the thief is there waiting, ready to steal your prayer life from you. You have made it a den of thieves coming to rob the house of God from being a house of prayer. The spiritual parallel is obvious today. The non-stop drive for more in a marketing-saturated marketing 21st century society that says, buy till you die, spend to the end, that is driving materialism, that same thing that keeps you from prayer because you've got to go to work, a 
And then you've got to get overtime, and then you've got to work more and more until there's nothing left in your life that resembles any devotion to God in your spiritual life because it's been stolen from you by the devil. He's a very smart thief today. And not only by the devil, but by the religious community. By religion. Religion will rob you of a prayer life. False observances and false ceremonies and false ideologies that are put upon us that also rob us from the spiritual life of God. The letter kills, Jesus said, but the Spirit brings life. And so it's our connection with the Spirit that's going to bring us life and our connection from the Spirit doesn't happen without a devoted prayer life. Can I hear an amen from you this morning? And so we see here in the middle of all this that just as the house of God, which Jesus said was a house of prayer, I want you to, I want you to understand how much emotion was in the Son of God's heart that day. He wasn't the sort of person to rock up and pull out a whip and start driving people out of the temple, flicking tables over, goods sprayed everywhere. Jesus, the Son of God. He was so emotional about this whole thing because he knew that God's people without prayer, as, as someone often said with the pun, one week without prayer makes one week. The first one spelt W-E-E-K. The second one spelt W-E-A-K. And so we understand how vital and how important our prayer is. And so let's just have a look at this passage again in light of what I'm sharing with you. The first thing that Jesus did, and here's four simple keys out of the passage we've just read that will help you break the deadlock of prayerlessness over your life. And I tell you, it works. I've put it into practice a number of times. What, pastor, you have times where you don't pray either? Absolutely, ask any pastor. They're driven by the urgent. They're driven by the immediate. And without realizing it, they can slowly deflate like a slow leak on your car tire until suddenly they realize that they're walking in their own strength. The first thing we understand from this is, number one, is that we need to make our lives a house of purity. Jesus was purifying the temple that day. He was getting all the yuck out of the house of God. Literally, they were parked in the entrance to the temple. What is parked at the entrance of your life this morning that is impure, that is cluttering your life and your ability to see God for who He truly is? Do you know why I say that? Because this is what Jesus said in the Beatitudes. Blessed are the pure in heart, they shall see God. I remember a tremendous story that was in the Leadership Journal a number of years ago where a pastor who was on the preaching circuit was, had penthouse magazines in his briefcase. And if he preached well, he would reward himself by going into his hotel room to read the penthouse magazine in between sessions. Such was the demonic infiltration that had taken place within his life. And he'd been to counselors, he'd been to his supervisors. One time he went to his supervisor and confessed all of his sins to his supervisor, and his supervisor said, sorry, I can't help you, I've got the same problem. Now this is 25 years ago, you imagine what it's like now. 
you have a portal to the internet right in your pocket, how much more difficult it is for people to, to retain a purity in their minds and in their spirits. And in the end, he got prayer from people and everything, and then one day, one day, one word from God delivered him. As he was crying out for freedom within his life, he, he'd, he'd tried all manner of things to try and rectify this problem in his life because it was killing him and it was killing his ministry. And then one day, the Holy Spirit spoke to him out of the Beatitudes and said, Son, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And suddenly the download hit his spirit. And he realized that the impurities that he was filling his mind with was blocking him from experiencing the Lord. That he couldn't see God. And it was enough to jolt him into repentance and to get free from the pornography. So how does this happen in a natural way within our lives? 1 Thessalonians 5.23, Paul wrote to the church and he said, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you. Sanctify is a great Bible word. It simply means set you apart for God's purposes. May he sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit, soul and body, that's everything right there, that's, that's the whole shebang, spirit, soul and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Here's the principle, friends. It's the same way as why mama wants to keep a tidy house. If nobody takes responsibility where you live for keeping your house tidy, guess what happens? There's dishes left on the bench. Last night's meal is still sitting there on the bench. Nobody's doing the dishes. There's clothes falling. There's clothes lying where they fell. Uh, they don't get put into the laundry. There's the vacuuming isn't done. There's breadcrumbs around the house. And before you know it, your house is a tip. Why? Why? Because nobody's taking responsibility for keeping a tidy house. And what Paul is saying here is, you've got to take responsibility for keeping your spiritual house tidy. That your whole spirit, soul and body can be preserved blameless to the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. So maybe today there's some tidying up spiritually that may need to happen within your life because you know what happens when you've got a house like that you don't want to invite visitors in. Do you know what happens if we don't keep our spiritual house tidy? We no longer, we're disqualified from ministering to others because we're carrying around spiritual impurities within our life. And this isn't a works-based gospel. This is a grace-based gospel. God's grace is able to help you to sanctify and consecrate and commit your life to Jesus Christ till that coming day of the Lord. The second thing that he says here is he says, as he cleans the, the money chambers and it changes and he turns them out of the temple, he then says, this house is called to be a house of prayer. Did you know that every single one of you that know Christ this morning, and those that may be watching on Facebook Live this morning, did you know that you have a calling from God to pray? When Jesus died 
The veil that separated the holy place and the most holy place where only the high priest could go in once a year was torn. A thick, thick veil. They say that it was a foot thick was torn from top to bottom to signify that God was at work. It was the miracle of God where now not one person once a year could have access to the presence of God, but every believer by faith in Jesus Christ can now enter into the holy presence of God as you come through the Son, Jesus Christ, by the Holy Spirit. You now have access to the Father 24-7. You have a ministry of prayer that God has opened the door for you to. And I've been amazed as I've preached around different churches and overseas over the years, where I ask the question, do you have a prayer meeting, regular prayer meeting as a church? And I'm shocked, especially in Western nations, how there's no regular prayer meeting in the church. We're clearly, as we've already discovered this morning, that it's part and parcel of the prototype of the early church of Jesus Christ. The devil loves to minimize prayer in our church and he loves to minimize prayer. You are called to prayer today. So what can you do practically, friends? Let me tell you what you do. Jesus said this. He said, when you pray, go into your closet and pray to the one who sees you in your closet. He said, if you want to do your prayer in front of men, you've got your reward. But if you want to come to me in secret and pray to me in secret, then I'm going to give you a reward. So there, right there, Jesus is telling us that there's a reward for seekers, for prayers that come, that there are things yet to be unlocked in your life if you haven't come into your prayer closet. So make a schedule. Make a time. If it means getting up half an hour earlier, I know, I know, I know. How difficult that can be. But if it means getting up 30 minutes earlier so that you can connect with God before you begin your day, then make that practical step of beginning. And understand this, you're not going to be taken up into the third heaven in your first attempt or your second attempt or your third attempt. Understand that you've got to break through those barriers. You've got to break through those distractions and you've got to lay down new train tracks, new railway tracks into the presence of God as you begin to establish that pattern. The third thing is that he said that when you've purified, when you've come to pray, then I'm going to release my power. That your temple can become a temple of power. What did we just read in the early church? Many signs, wonders and miracles were done at the hands of the apostles. What did they just finish doing? Praying. Praying as they came together. I think this is remarkable that as soon as he cleansed the temple and he reestablished it as a house of prayer, this is what the next verse says, immediately the blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. Immediately miracles flowed in the place where there was no miracles because it's God's house is always called to be a supernatural house of power within our lives. People ask me a lot, Pastor James, how come we don't see the miracles in New Zealand? I've heard about all the miracles that you've seen overseas when you've been preaching the gospel. How come we don't see them here? 
Well, one thing we need to understand, friends, like this time last year, I was preaching five services on a Sunday in the middle of South India, and every service in their normal service had prayer and intercession at a high level in their normal Sunday service where the whole church, yes, it was a large church, but the atmosphere of prayer permeated that whole church. And they've, said, they've had nine resurrections from the dead that have been documented in that church, where they've raised nine people from the dead in that church. And they are a house of prayer. And as a result of being a house of prayer, they've become a house of prayer. If we were devoted to prayer, friends, like the first world is devoted to prayer, you've got to remember they don't have anything else. They don't have all their toys to play with. They've got nothing except God. And when you've got nothing except God and you pray with devotion, guess what? God answers and you begin to see those miracles. Does that mean that we can't have it in New Zealand? No, it doesn't. What it means is that we need to incubate and set an environment and a culture of prayer that is going to see the same thing happen here in our nation. Lastly, this morning, as a result of this, it became a house of praise. Don't you love that? Where all the religious people were frowning because these young children were singing Hosanna, Hosanna to the son of David. They were giving praise. They couldn't help it. And Jesus says, don't you, haven't you ever read in the Psalms? Out of the mouth of babes and infants, I've ordained praise. And what, he, what Jesus was saying to them was that this will be a natural, your worship will go to a whole new level in your personal life when you've made your house a house of purity, a house of prayer. When you've made your house that which God has intended for you, that house of power, it becomes a house of continual praise. You'll be praising God in your car on the way to work. You'll be praising God when you go to meet with your friends. You'll be saying, can we have a prayer meeting? You'll be saying, can we pray? It'll just come as a natural outflow of who you are. I was reading about Derek Prince the other day with his first wife, Ruth. And Derek Prince was one of the most anointed Bible teachers since the days of Christ that we've ever seen on the planet. And Derek, and this person was talking about his, he had a, he had a meal, they had a dinner with uh, Derek Prince and his wife, Ruth. And uh, suddenly in the conversation, Ruth or Derek would interrupt one another. And they would say, I think we need to pray for so-and-so right now. And so they would say, excuse me. And together as they're sitting at the dinner table, you'd think, how rude. At the dinner table, they would suddenly break into an agreement of prayer for such and such because they were continually 24-7 on call to God to be a vessel that could be used in intercession and in prayer. Friends, we need, we need the presence. We need the power. We need to break the deadlock of the thief who's come to steal your prayer life this morning. And as I finish this message, I'm going to ask as we stand in just a moment, I'm going to ask for you to respond to what the Holy Spirit is saying to you today. You don't need to allow, don't be concerned about the person on your right or on your left. Today we do business with the King of Kings. Today you have an audience of one. His name is Jesus and he's here to break deadlocks over our lives that a new flow of the Spirit can come in and through your life and release the power of God to change, to change, to bring about God's ordained pattern of prayer within our lives. Could we stand to our feet, please?